0: This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bellazoo, the amazing suppliers of Mediterranean and Middle Eastern ingredients. Their range includes premium olive oils and vinegars, pestos, pastes, and preserved lemons. And if you haven't yet tried their signature rosarissa, which is a staple in my fridge, then you are in for a treat. Bellezue started 30 years ago when two friends, George and Adam, drove a van full of olives back from France. They began supplying chefs, then home cooks, and have never looked back bella zoo ingredients are restaurant quality and i've genuinely been a fan for a very long time their tahini from nablus has a very special place in my kitchen shelf it's so nutty and flavorsome their ingredients are such a simple way to enhance other flavors and they transform any dish Bellazoo source and develop their products very carefully, without compromising on quality, and have gone above and beyond in their commitment to the environment and to looking after their suppliers. To find out more, go to waitrose.com/bellazoo to discover the range for yourself. Hi. I'm Yasmin Khan and you're listening to Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. Throughout the season, my co-host Alison Okovee and I are going to be talking to a range of fantastic guests from many walks of life and asking them to share their stories through the food memories, dishes and ingredients that mean the most to them. Hello Alison, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. How about you? good thanks yeah just settling into the cold weather and uh i've been spending the week curling up with lots of cookbooks
1: nice have you found anything uh, interesting because there's just so many this time of year
0: there are. Well, I've really enjoyed Med by Claudia Roden, who is one of my absolute food heroes, still knocking out cookbooks, age 85. So impressive. Yeah, um, she's and what- amazing. <laughs> it is really impressive, isn't it? And what I love about this book is that it really takes you on a journey through the Mediterranean, whether it's like Spain and Italy or greece or turkey or even like the north african countries and like all of her books you just get a real sense of storytelling as well Mm. as the recipes uh so i've been eyeing up the chicken and onion pies with moroccan flavors and lots of gorgeous kind of spaghetti dishes with garlic oil and chili at a time when we're not traveling so much it's the perfect book to kind of take you on a little culinary journey what about you have you kind of been enjoying any cookbooks
1: yeah. I mean, this weather, you know, when it's a bit colder, I crave Indian spicy meals. So I've um, dug out Chetna McCann's, mm. Chetna's 30-minute Indian book that came out a couple of months ago. It's a great book. It's full of quick and easy recipes that are perfect for midweek, whether you want meat or fish or mm. vegetable curries. There's some there's some great recipes there. And of course, Chetna writes for Waitrose. She has a regular column in the Food Magazine magazine and the taste pages. And she also has done quite a lot of videos for us for our YouTube channel. So, you know, it's just great to cook recipes from someone you feel like you really know.
0: Yeah, I love Chetna. She's one of my favourite people. (laughs) She's great. She's such a lovely lady. But
1: the other person is um, Ed Kimber, who is on our baking special in the summer. He has got this great one tin bake series going on. He's got his second book One Tin Bakes Easy and it's just a really easy baking cookbook which is all using the same size tin which is just a hassle-free way of cooking. Mm.
0: But alongside Devouring Lots of Lovely Cookbooks, I've also been studying another book this week which isn't a cookbook but is the wonderful work of our guest, uh, psychologist Kimberly Wilson. Um, It's called How to Build a Healthy Brain and my copy is now absolutely bristling with post-it notes because I think it's so fascinating.
1: It's a great book, isn't it? But Kimberly may be better known to people as one of the finalists in Bake Off back in 2013. But Bake Off really was just an interlude in Kimberly's career because she was already a psychologist then and has continued her work ever since as a practicing psychologist. She's been a therapist in a women's prison. She's also a writer, a podcaster, an Instagrammer, And she's a broadcaster too, so she co-hosts Made of Stronger Stuff on Radio 4 with Dr. Zand Van Tulliken.
0: I know, she's got such an impressive CV, hasn't she? But what I think I find particularly interesting is her work as a psychologist, which is very much centred around the idea that the mind is part of the body. And so by looking after our bodies, which includes feeding them really well, we're also supporting normal brain function. It sounds so simple and and sensible, doesn't it? Yes, it's a really interesting area of research, I think, with new emerging studies being produced about how changes in diet and lifestyle can potentially influence our brains. It was a very eye opening conversation,
1: and I loved what Kimberly says at the end about how responsive our brains can be to changes we make in our lifestyles. It's never too late to start eating better for your brain.
0: It's never too late, absolutely. So let's get to it. Here is our conversation with the wonderful psychologist, Kimberly Wilson. <laughs> Hi, Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining us on Life on a Plate. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you. We've been really excited all week, actually, about talking to you. I'm going to show you this book. Which you can see how many bits of it I have highlighted uh, but we're going to come on to that in a minute. Um, I thought I'd just ask how, yeah, how are you doing? You know, the weather's getting a bit colder, a bit autumnal. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like this season? Is it a season you like? I feel like this
2: season is compensation for a rubbish summer. So summer kind of didn't happen and I felt quite aggrieved about it. But the compensation is crumble season and porridge season. Yeah. And it just nice. <laughs> it just makes me feel happier about life that I can start kind of moving towards bowl food and comfort foods to to take me through
0: absolutely do you have any favorite cold weather comfort foods I mean you mentioned crumble Mm. is that is that the the first thing that you want when the weather when you need to put on the on the on the heaters for the first time probably is
2: so like a plum crumble with custard yeah is is a go-to just that lovely combination of tangy and sweet any spices in there A little bit of star anise quite often and some cinnamon, maybe some ginger if I'm feeling fancy. (gasps) Um, And then things like ramen, like real bowl foods and soups and soups that I can serve with a scone and savoury cobblers. So just kind of getting in (laughs) to the carbs, (laughs) just hot carbs uh, for the next six months.
1: So if that's your cold weather comfort what do you hanker for in warmer weather
2: in the summer I really love having kind of crisp salads with quite tangy dressings um lovely kind of my favorite thing is a peach salad with a little kind of radicchio and some like crumbly cheese and some salted almond
1: nice what will be in your store cupboard for the next six months while you're eating that carbs
2: so I really love winter squash so I tend to do kind of um Make like braised lentils and roast squash, yeah. either as broth or as a salad. Um, like a warm hot salad. Mm. What else? Really soups and like quite but kind of hearty soups, yeah. broths, things that like you're adding kind of oats and barley and lentils too
0: a potage as i believe they're sometimes called <laughs> i make those as well so in in like my my food heritage is iranian and a lot of our soups they're they're not like a consomme they i mean they are a hearty one-pot meal so you have legumes and grains like rice or bulgur mm-hmm. wheat um in in the actual soup as well as the vegetables and you know yeah so yeah it's it's it, it kind of gets us it's somewhere in between the soup and a stew yeah and of course food is a huge part of your work isn't it kimberly because not only do you have a degree in nutrition but you're also a chartered psychologist and one of the things your work focuses on is the role that food and lifestyle play in our mental health and I tell you what I feel like I was made for this conversation today because my mum has a PhD in nutrition and dietetics. And then my dad is a psychiatrist. So we grew up kind of talking about this topic quite a lot. And I've always been really fascinated by it, which is why I've got your book with a million like p- post-it notes in it with a million questions. Because I think what you're doing with your work is... Really incredible. And I feel that there isn't really, you know, anyone really shining the light on this topic in the way that you are. I know that there's a lot of increasing research done on it, but um, thank you so much for taking the time anyway to join us. Oh,
2: pleasure. Thank you.
0: Before we start, I'd love for you to clarify the difference between
1: a psychiatrist, a psychologist and a therapist and what what they all do um, because they're easily confused for the layperson. (sighs)
2: Yeah. So psychiatrists are essentially medics, doctors who train the specialism of um, psychiatric illness and disorders. Um, Psychologists also train specifically in psychiatric uh, illness and disorders, but we are not medics. We do not give medication. We do not prescribe. um, And we are really there to offer treatment and treatment intervention. So quite often your psychiatrist will refer you to a psychologist or the psychiatrist will make the diagnosis and then refer you to the psychologist for, for treatment. And then counsellors and psychotherapists is quite a big range. So it can be people who have degrees in psychotherapy or counselling, people who have had shorter trainings and a different
0: range of methodologies. Thanks so much for explaining that. And a large premise of your work is that the way we think about brain health as being separate from physical health is inherently flawed. What do you mean by that? So... We have been living, working, practicing under a
2: 400 year old paradigm, really, uh, that the mind is ethereal, kind of separate out there, its own being in in the universe and isn't actually fully anchored in the body. And, you know, that really does stem from Descartes. But he was wrong. (laughs) He was very, very wrong. Your, Your mind is a function. It is an emergent function of your brain, in the same way that your heartbeat is an emergent function of your heart. And your brain is an organ, it is a physical organ like your heart, like your liver, like your kidneys. And for that reason, it has some very basic physiological needs in order to function well. It needs adequate nutrition. It needs appropriate movement. It needs modification and management of stress. It needs you know, oxygen to work well. There are these basic physiological needs that your brain has in order to work well. And a brain that is working well will have more optimal functions. And the functions of your brain are your concentration, your mood, your attention, your memory, all of these things. Your brain doesn't have its own separate Uh, nutritional uh, supply you know it doesn't have its own oxygen supply all of that comes from the body and so what happens in the body has a profound direct and often very immediate impact on what's happening in the brain and we need to really start thinking about that
0: I think you make the point so articulately. Uh, And one of the things I really stood out with me from the things that I've seen that you've written is when you said, you know, all of us could probably name, you know, the three things that we need to do for a healthy heart because it's been so drummed into us, hasn't it? Over decades of public health information. Whereas ask people, you know, what the three things you might need, I mean, just to simplify things for Mm, the brain. mm -hmm. And we just simply don't have that information.
2: Yeah, I think there is a particularly Western separation between... Uh, the mind and body that comes out of a history of, well, initially we we thought that mental illness was about possession by the devil, right? It was about something happening with these esoteric spirits or this supernatural phenomena, and and so and, and that was the grounding of our understanding of mental illness. And then we moved into hysteria and wombs wandering around the body, and you know all of this sort of stuff. And so we really started to conceptualize both in kind of public life but in but in medical research and and thinking to conceptualize the mind as separate from the body and what that has meant is that we've neglected the evidence that comes from the body you know the 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 relationship between physical illness and depression the fact that when you start to come down with something you, you know coming down with a cold one of your first signs is often just not feeling good feeling low apathy, a bit of lethargy, even before you get the symptoms of a, a blocked nose or something like that. And so we we have ignored these kind of clear signals that when something is happening in the body, when something is happening in the immune system, it affects how you feel, it affects the way your brain functions. And if we could start to, again, reintegrate our thinking around that, then it gives us many more access points for intervention. Because one of the big issues with disorders of the brain and and, and mental health, is that, well, first of all, there are leading causes of disease and disability. Depression is the leading cause, or one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. And Alzheimer's disease, dementia, is the leading cause of death in the UK. And we approach them, certainly depression, with very few tools. Either you can talk about it, or you can take a medication. And what we miss then is the impact of nutrition, the impact of movement, the impact of your, your immune function on things like depression. So the more we understand about the basis and the etiology of it, the more interventions and hopefully the more effective treatments we can have for people who are suffering.
1: Your book, How to Build a Healthier Brain, uh, looks at how food and lifestyle just affects our brain health and mood and behaviour. When did that interest of linking brain health with food begin?
2: I've always been interested in food and nutrition. I've always been an eater. But I guess that in terms of my professional work, it was when I was working in prisons um, and I was running therapy service at HMP and YY Holloway, which was a women's prison in London. And one of the things about working in women's prisons is understanding the incidence of self-harm because at the time, women represented something like five or 6% of the total population of the prison estate in the UK. But when you looked at the rates of self-harm, women were making up something like 40, 45, maybe 50 percent of the actual recorded incidence of self-harm. And it was around this time that a replication of a study came out. So there was a study that was done in 2002 and then a replication came out around 2009. And it found very interestingly and very very relevant to the work that I was doing at that very moment, that improving nutrition in prisons reduced objective incidents of violence. So in prison, when there's uh, an incident of violence or of some self-injury, uh, it's recorded in, in a logbook on the wing. And so you can count the number of incidents that have occurred. And so this study, the 2002 and the the replication, found that improving nutrition through supplementation, in this case, in prisons, in male offenders, reduce objective incidents of violence by 30%.
0: This year, Waitrose and John Lewis are continuing their work with Fair Share and Homestart to help support families in need at Christmas. The partnership will donate £1 million to these and other local charities, and it's easy for you to give too. Just visit waitrose.com forward slash love. Together, we can make a real difference to families in need. To find out more, including full terms and conditions, please go to waitrose.com forward slash love. the issues around violence and self-harm, but the research also showed that diet and lifestyle can have a huge impact on one of the other major diseases of our lifetime, dementia. And in your book, you reference a report in The Lancet in which the research said that potentially a third of dementia cases could be prevented even where there's a genetic component by dietary and lifestyle changes.
2: And actually, that's been updated now. That Since the book was published, they have increased that proportion to 40%. 40% of global Alzheimer's disease could be delayed or prevented through changes in lifestyle.
0: I mean, I would say that probably every family in the world at this stage you know no, is is affected aren't they by well both depression and and dementia but yes yeah, so tell me i you know how optimistic do you feel that people can ward off these illnesses through changing their habits
2: well so optimistic in terms of the science is very compelling and the science is compelling not just in terms of observation but in terms of intervention so in studies where they have taken older people who already have early signs of neurodegeneration or cognitive declines. And they've taken these people and have improved their nutrition, have got them doing a little bit of of regular exercise, because exercise is, again, a very robust way of improving brain health. They have halted and, in some cases, reversed the cognitive decline. So in terms of the research, I'm optimistic in terms of the implementation of the, of the research, I think that that's where things become more difficult. Because, for example, the evidence around um, diet says if we can get people onto a more Mediterranean style diet or even just a more traditional diet. So if you live in Scandinavia, the traditional Scandinavian diet, if you live in Japan, the traditional Japanese diet, essentially not a Western, highly processed lots of free sugar diet it just says if the more you adhere to your nation's health guidelines or nutritional guidelines the better off you'll be the lower risk of depression you will have but what we know is that the implementation of that information already isn't incredibly high
0: but it's within our grasp isn't it i think that is i think that's the message i think that i definitely got from from your book because you so clearly actually set out in a practical way basically if we eat these seven food groups we're going to feel better for it
2: yeah and i think there's the the we have to think about accessibility because what is true is that, you know, eating well, it does take more time. You can eat 100 processed calories much more quickly than you can make 100 unprocessed calories palatable. Also, the hyper palatability of a, a processed food is going to make a whole food diet feel less tasty you know when you get so used to eating food that has all these additional flavorings and extra salt and extra sugar then a moderately palatable diet feels less tasty
0: what food group should we be eating for our brain if people do want to start eating healthier food for their brain what do they want to be including
2: um my first and foremost soapbox high horse uh, nutrient uh, is always going to be omega-3 fatty acids these fats, which are found in oily fish and seafood, or in an algae-based supplement if you don't eat um, animal foods, are the structural components of your brain. So they form at least a third of the outer membrane of your brain cells. So if you're, I always say if you're if you think of your brain cells as a house, or your brain as a house, one in every three of those bricks is omega-3 fatty acids and you can one in only
1: three. get one in, in three
2: one in three
0: good but that's interesting because i think a lot of us you know have heard that oh yeah omega-3 is good for your brain but actually to know that it's that much of a building block that that feels like news to me essentially the
2: structural uh, resiliency of your brain starts in utero and so if the mother isn't getting sufficient omega-3 then she's going to give birth to a child whose brain is already vulnerable and then there are those additional stresses that come, you know, from daily life and just growing up and the things that we're exposed to. So we need to have, in order to get sufficient omega-3 in our diet, 140 grams of oily fish per week. And adults in the UK are getting about a third of a portion. So that we're having one portion of oily fish a month on average. And only 1.3% of children in the UK are getting sufficient omega-3.
0: And what about, you know, obviously increasingly, you know, people who are turning towards a more vegetarian diet or a plant-based diet. So presumably then that, you know, has its own challenges. Um, and I know that you, you write in the book that kind of in terms of supplements and, you know, everyone, I think flax seeds are kind of always given, aren't they, as like the, the answer. But what do you recommend for people who are hearing this but can't eat fish for whatever reason? So
2: omega-3s in terms of um, human biological health come in three, the three main types, are EPA, DHA, and ALA. So EPA and DHA come from marine foods, oily fish and seafood, bivalves, and mussels, and, and that sort of thing. And ALA comes from flax seeds, chia, walnuts, and that sort of thing. So we do need some of that, that they are important. You should eat nuts, enjoy your seeds. That's fantastic. Um, and very, very strictly, kind of technically, the body can convert ALA to EPA and DHA. However, it cannot do that that very well. So the conversion rate is somewhere between 8 to 11%. So there are lots of ways in which that's just not going to be sufficient. So if people are taking, if you don't or can't eat animal foods, fish, oily seafood, you don't like the taste, whatever it is, um, taking an omega-3 where the omega-3 is ALA, or where it says from flaxseed sauce or chia seed sauce is not going to cut it. What you will need is an algae-based uh vegan source of uh of DHA. And essentially what happens is that the, the, the DHA is synthesized in microalgae anyway. Then the fish eat it, concentrate it in their bodies, and then we eat the fish. So going to an algae-based source is kind of cutting out the middle fish um, and going straight to the source. And and that's what you'll want to be doing. And you'll want to be getting uh, at least 500. So if you look at the back of the packet, it will say EPA and DHA. You want that figure to say 500 milligrams. Per
1: day what about cooking with seaweed and that's kind of a bit of a trend but mm. does that help add anything
2: well actually iodine is so iodine is is found uh, quite abundantly in, in things like seaweed and kombu and nori um and iodine is really important for brain development and there have been some um reviews that have looked at the lack of iodine in, again in women's diets um and in pregnancy and particularly because well, iodine is found in um in in well in salts and and in milk and as people switch away from dairy milks to uh, plant-based milks they're losing that iodine component in their diets and again iodine isn't one of these kind of trendy nutrients that people talk about people often you know they'll talk about maybe vitamin d particularly at this time of year as we head into winter and autumn but then no one's talking about iodine iodine is actually essential for brain development and so there is a concern well certainly i am concerned that if you're cutting out these um, animal foods, which aren't just about protein, people often think, well, I'll get my protein from elsewhere, or I'll get my iron from elsewhere. And people think that that those are the only nutrients. But animal foods are a source in terms of brain health of omega threes, of B12. B12 is so important for the brain that deficiency can mimic dementia. So iodine, B12, choline, which is found predominantly in egg yolks, these nutrients you know choline goes on to make acetylcholine which is a neurotransmitter which is required for learning and memory these are found predominantly in animal foods so if you're cutting out animal foods from your diet you need to be aware of the importance of these nutrients for you and if you are intending to conceive or are pregnant for for your child and you'll need to then think quite carefully about how to get those nutrients into your diet either through supplementation or selection of you know Um, certain some plant foods can can perhaps offer them but probably supplementation is your your best bet
0: that's brilliant so helpful thank you so we've got our omega-3s our iodines what are the key food groups do we want to be doing what's the the kimberly wilson top 10 so in terms of food groups
2: so the food groups would be yes oily fish to start with in order to get your omega-3s leafy green vegetables so um one of my favorite studies showed that in older older people who had a small bowl of leafy greens a day so your spinach rocket watercress that sort of thing had brains that were 11 years younger than their peers they these the nutrients wow. in leafy greens slow brain aging such that by this time in their lives their brains were a decade functioning a decade wow. younger and again you don't have to eat a lot of them it's a, you know it's a handful it's the amount that you can throw in often in the book I say to take a handful of spinach and put that in your shop bought salad that's you know that, that's mm. what we're talking about have some frozen spinach chunks and throw those into your smoothie add it into pasta you'll never you won't even taste it you think you don't like it spinach disappears. those frozen chunks barely taste of anything it just disappears <laughs> the polyphenols so those brightly colored foods Berries in particular, so blackberries, black blueberries. blueberries, blueberries get all of the PR. And I just want to also <laughs> okay. let people yeah. know like those, you know, the native. Black carrot, the elderberries have 10 to 100 times the polyphenols of blueberries. They just don't have the PR. Um, so so <laughs> I went out, I think we, we probably just missed the season, but I managed to get out and forage oh, for lovely. elderberries and I have them in my freezer to turn them into syrup um, to flavor my kombucha through the winter.
1: So you cook them into a syrup because, of course, you do have to cook them first because they can be toxic raw.
2: Yes. And then fiber, 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 fiber. Fiber. Nobody has enough of that. But, <laughs> no one, and it's it's so it's much maligned. It, it's getting a little bit more. Again, it's having a good a, a good PR turnaround. People are looking at gut health and thinking much more about how how we make fiber sexy. But in terms of your brain health, it's really about ensuring that your bacteria are well fed. So your bacteria that line your gut, fiber is their favorite food give them fiber, they will, they will earn their keep, they will give you vitamin K, they will give you B vitamins, they will give you precursors to neurotransmitters, they will produce serotonin for you, everything is, is going well, it's a lovely, a lovely, happy relationship, a good partnership. So ensuring that you're eating enough fibre and essentially keeping your gut bugs happy um, and well-fed is going to help set the scene for just a body that's more in balance and, and, and an immune system that is, you know, quiet and doing its job.
1: just before the pandemic and lockdown, you spoke about how we were in a mental health crisis in this country. How's the pandemic in the last 18 or so months added to that?
2: Yeah, I think what the pandemic has done is really pull the cloak away from how much people were were struggling anyway, or or who were just about getting by, you know, that people were just about managing with their mental health. And partly, A, because lots of people lost their coping mechanisms, you know, whether it was exercise or socializing, you know, we we lost those normal, uh, just social interaction, we lost those normal um, coping mechanisms. But then as it went on, and particularly as the lockdowns went on much longer than uh, we anticipated, The additional stress uh, really eroded mental health and well-being.
0: I think one thing that many people have felt during the pandemic is uh, struggling with uncertainty. Do you have any tips for how people could, could deal with that?
2: Your brain really doesn't like uncertainty. It is the worst. Your brain would much rather have a very definite negative outcome as the option than an uncertain one. When you have uncertainty, it actually it's you have this activation in the amygdala. Your amygdala is designed. We think about it as a fear center, but really it's designed to help you to to signal novelty and ambiguity. So when you're facing something that is new or ambiguous, your amygdala says, all right, body, we need to marshal some resources. Let's get some cortisol in here to help give you some energy. Let's get some adrenaline in here to keep you alert and awake so that we can deal with this ambiguity. So the the, the kind of corollary of uncertainty is this increase in stress. And that's why our bodies find it incredibly stressful, because your amygdala is like, OK, we don't know what's happening. Let's stay awake. So... We all find uncertainty very, very difficult. And that's kind of how your brain is built. What you can do is kind of one of two things. And it's a bit of a dialectic. You have to try to control the controllables. So try to manage the things that you can manage. And mostly the things that you can manage are the things that you can do with your body. So whether you can you know give yourself a bit of a routine routine is very nice because routine is very predictable so you can certainly during lockdown I was advising people to you know give yourself a routine to go for a walk in the mornings at this time you have a cup of tea this is the time you sit down to do some work you know give yourself some structure so that you can at least give your brain a little bit of a rest and, and tell it it knows what to expect you know what to expect here the other side of that is to acknowledge the things you cannot control so that, that that kind of maybe mindful thoughtful way of just saying i cannot i cannot control everything we call it, we talk about radical acceptance which is just being in that place and saying i know i cannot control this it's uncomfortable it's unpleasant i don't like it i wish it could be different but i cannot control it and just trying to accept it because where people get in into trouble is trying to control the uncontrollable and that will exhaust you, that will deplete you, that will erode your resources. So yeah, that, a balance of those two things.
0: I think that's so helpful. Thank
1: you. It's helpful to have a list of oily fish, leafy veg. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels a bit overwhelming. What does sure. a real day's diet look like what would you say is a healthy day
2: sure so for example so yesterday um i had a, a, i find porridge is just a great catch-all mm. for so many nutrients mm. <laughs> so i have a multi-grain porridge and um i basically use muesli base which gives you more of a range of grains, of grains and more different types of fiber is great for your gut health so um I muesli or or porridge with throwing some berries throwing some nuts and maybe a dollop of yogurt that's fine and then so then you've got your polyphenols in a form of berries and then and fiber in there so you're off to a good start
0: off to a good start I like that (laughs) um at
2: lunchtime a beanie soup beans on toast Things on toast is always a good start. Mushrooms on toast, a really good source of fiber and, and beavits. Sardines on toast. Or, so yesterday I had I had potato salad. So I had potato salad, a couple of slices of salmon and some greens. And so in that you've got the oily fish, you've got the leafy greens, but also you've got the cold carbs, which are also a, a prebiotic. They can feed your gut bacteria. So that was lunch. And then for dinner today, I'm, I'm, I'll be having ramen. So I'll be making my own breakfast broth. So you're going to get some amino acids and some nice proteins in there. I'm going to use a little bit, just one slice of steak um, between two. So a little bit of meat, but get some bee bits in there um, and lots of fresh veg. So sugar snaps, onions um there are some mushrooms in there as well some pak choy so it doesn't have to you know it's not piles of raw vegetables you don't have to spiralize anything
1: you mentioned cold carbs what what are they
2: yeah so when you cook and cool a starch so potatoes pasta rice what happens is that the structure of the sugar molecule changes it shifts and what happens is that it resists digestion in your stomach so that's the, the resistant part and and it becomes available as a food source for your gut microbes. So that's why we call it resistant starch. It's starch that resists digestion and then becomes essentially another form of fiber.
1: So if, if you're listening to all this advice and thinking, actually, I've not been eating like that, is there a cutoff point where any changes to your diet? won't have any effect
2: this is one of my favorite questions actually because the answer is incredibly hopeful and optimistic um because i know that a lot of this information can feel quite especially if you haven't you know you've not been sleeping well you've not been eating well you can feel quite worried about your brain health but we need to remember that your brain is plastic. It responds well. It shifts with experience and and uh, life, uh, what's happening in your life. So y- your brain is always changing. And essentially what the evidence tells us is that up to and up until the point at which someone is diagnosed with moderate neurodegeneration, so early stages that mild cognitive generation degeneration, even up to that point, you can make improvements to your lifestyle and you can make improvements to your brain health such that you can slow delay and or reverse uh, early signs of neurodegeneration. So it doesn't matter if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, you can do things right now, this moment, whether it's going out for a five minute walk, whether it's adding some berries to your, to a smoothie, whether it's, you know, having a cup of tea. Um, tea has been, is shown to be neuroprotective. So all of these things, are available to you. And it's essentially never too late. So get started now.
0: I'm really glad you mentioned things on toast, because one of the things that I've enjoyed the most following you on Instagram, where your account is called food and psych for anyone else who wants to follow you, is your real love of the sandwich. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So it it started as a a lockdown project. So i had had this list of
2: places that I'd wanted to go in 2020, you know, dumplings I wanted Mm. to try, noodle bars I wanted to seek out, places that I wanted to go with friends. And then that didn't happen. (laughs) That didn't happen. Um, And so as we came into 2021, we were still in lockdown and it was feeling very grey and very monotonous and, and quite miserable. I needed a bit of a project. And so I decided what I would do is create the year of the sandwich. So every week for the year, I would create a different famous international sandwich. So whether it was the banh mi from Vietnam or a shrimp po' boy from Louisiana, New Orleans... Stotti from Newcastle to try a different sandwich and, and to make it from scratch. So making the bread, finding, making or finding the speciality ingredients and learning something about the history of the food. And what's been really lovely is that because sandwiches are street food, they are essentially the food of the people. They are food of the working class. And it tells you so much about the history of the, the economy, the geography of migration, of wartime in in the story of a sandwich and i've loved it and it's, it's been really really lovely
1: right kimberly now's the time that we always have in each episode of life on a plate <laughs> the kitchen grill uh, it's quick fire you <sighs> okay. um there's no right or wrong answer and do feel free to
0: elaborate
2: tea or
1: coffee
2: tea Um, I, I think I do, I mean, I do drink coffee. I probably drink more tea. I like the varieties of tea. Um, so yeah, it's it's tea for me. Um, so I will have it white, no sugar, but I like it just a little bit too hot. (laughs) There's a very specific temperature and my, my range for how hot, for the perfect temperature is very small. Like like it's just a little bit too
0: hot. <laughs> oh, nice. I mean, I literally ask people when they're making me tea, you know, when you buy them mm. in the cafe, I'm always like, can I have extra hot water? Because <laughs> sometimes you need to ask for that. There's nothing
1: worse than a cold cup of milky tea. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> Porridge <laughs> or cereal? Porridge. Mash or chips? <sighs> <Whoa. laughs> oh, my
2: mm. potatoes. Um, <laughs> chips.
1: Bacon or smoked salmon.
2: Oh, my head and my heart. My head and my heart. Oh, oh I love it. get out bacon. of therapist mode. Bacon,
1: bacon. <laughs> Baguette or sourdough. Sourdough. Butter or olive oil.
2: Butter, delicious Good. butter.
1: <laughs> Spicy or mild.
2: Spicy every single time. And don't tell me that this it's spicy when it's really not, because I will be angry. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, oh. Lack them Starter or put? Pudding.
2: Good. Life is short. Of course we're having pudding. Why have I gone out if there's no pudding? Don't waste my time.
1: <laughs> there, there's the there's bake-off coming out. <laughs> recipe or freestyle?
2: Um, this one does depend. Uh, cooking freestyle, baking recipe.
1: Are you a Grazer? or a feaster?
2: Feast. But can you be both (laughs) constantly feasting?
1: Does does that mean you're like nibbling in between meals as well? I just... Or does one feast just go into the next?
2: (laughs) I think, no, I'm probably a feaster. Like I do like to look forward to a meal and I do like my meal to be perfect, like perfectly seasoned so I can sit down and really enjoy it. I think if I'm grazing, I'm not really enjoying what I'm eating. I'm usually probably just trying to get by until I can get to my next real meal.
1: Nice. That is it. That's the kitchen grill. Thank you. (sighs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks.
0: <laughs> and I've just realised, having, you know, mentioned Bake Off, that, you know, out of all the things that we could talk to you about, we decided, like, Bake Off was, was the one we were <laughs> yeah. least interested in. But of course, you were a finalist on Bake Off. So I think we should just throw that in there. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave that as a teaser. So hopefully, um, we'll, we'll speak again, because it's been an absolute pleasure, Kimberly. Lovely. I've learned so I've much from this. And you've actually really inspired me. Um, you know, even earlier this week i was reading your book and then i kind of went out and i bought some trout and yes. i thought i just need to eat some more fish and uh yeah trout why aren't we eating no one it's eats the it. it's the mild salmon it's local to this <laughs> it's island and it's yeah but anyway so it's it's really been a pleasure so thank you so much for joining us on life on a plate it's been lovely thank you so so much Been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose with me, Yasmin Khan. Thank you to my co host, Alison Okerby, and our guest, Kimberly Wilson. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you can find more like it by subscribing to Life on a Plate wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the series, go visit waitrose.com forward slash podcast. The opinions conveyed in this podcast are those of the interviewee. A balanced diet with frequent activity supports a healthy lifestyle. If you've got concerns about your mental or cognitive health, always seek advice from your GP.